Can you actually drive revenue growth just by listening to your customer? You might be surprised. Today's guest has made a successful business of creating authentic customer journeys. That and more coming up on the marketingandservice.com podcast. Hey, Justin Bruzzo here from marketingandservice.com podcast, the podcast designed to help you build your business by creating incredible customer relationships. If you find value in this episode, please, 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 pretty please take a moment to follow or subscribe. And if you want to do me a huge favor, leave a review. It means a lot to me and it helps keep me going. I'd love to hear from you, so please hit me up on the marketingandservice.com Facebook page. You can always shoot me an email, J-U-S-T-I-N, that's Justin at marketingandservice.com. Let me know, what marketing challenges are you having with your business? And what would you love to learn more about next? Let me know and I will make an episode just for you. On today's show, we have a very special guest, Brent Keltner. Brent is the president of Winalytics. Brent believes that you can create an authentic buyer journey by leading with buyer goals and payoffs. Winalytics can raise team performance with a dynamic skills development model to capture and socialize top plays for every single buyer interaction. Winalytics helps clients build their best go-to-market strategy within and across sales, marketing, and customer success. Brent is also the author of a new book, now available for pre-order, The Revenue Acceleration Playbook. And the concept here is pretty simple. Listen. Listen to your customers. We've talked about this a lot. So without any further ado, let's bring Brent onto the show. Brent Keltner, thank you for being on the show today. I really appreciate it. Hey, Justin. Thanks for having me. I'm really looking forward to the conversation. Yeah, absolutely. So maybe you can give a really quick synopsis of your past business experience that, that's led you to where you are today. Yeah, so I started out life as an academic and then shifted to work with Kaplan, their higher education group, leveraging the academic background, had about a decade, 12 years of revenue leadership roles in a series of companies focused on higher education, selling into higher education colleges, universities, four very quick growth successes. At the end of that, I realized there was kind of a method to the madness, which I had actually developed as a, uh, so I had built a, what we now call the authentic buyer journey, which is not leading your sales with a product-driven selling process, but leading it with always anchoring on what does? How do you make your buyer more successful? Gotcha. So in so, this in this role at, uh, in this role at Kaplan and dealing with higher education, uh, were you there? Uh, were you actually selling, or were you building the sales team, or both? Yeah. So I I was doing both in most of those roles at Kaplan. Was selling had a team that I was managing. Right. At Edge Ventures, uh, I we launched a number of benchmarking research programs at colleges and universities. I would usually sell the first dozen and then I'd bring my team in behind to go to a hundred. Okay. Um, and then at Collegial Link, I was the CEO of a small company. So I, I've always had a my own sales bogey in the revenue leadership roles that I've been in. So the, so the last step, academics, 12 years as a revenue leader, saw that I had a method to drive 
revenue quicker, started about seven years ago, uh, Analytics as a go-to-market and revenue acceleration consultancy. Awesome. So what what is your uh, typical, the, the businesses that you work with, what is the typical profile of that business? Are they small businesses, large yeah, I mean, businesses, the educational they're, they're really space? Two. Uh, we started, like many consultants, doing uh, fractional sales leadership work, right? Contract VP of sales, contract CRO. Uh, so those were typically companies, you know, less than a million in revenue working on product market fit. We did that for about five years and then got to the point where really all of our work is around building the revenue acceleration playbook. Gotcha. Uh, overall playbooks and then helping teams implement it. And so right now our sweet spot are probably two to $10 million companies on the one hand that are folks that they're doing sales, marketing and customer success, but really need to formalize Sure. Those teams and the and the playbooks and need to make a connected buyer journey. And then we, you know, work with call it 10 to 50 million dollar companies, usually that are targeting going public and they need to optimize each of those teams. There are a number of players, and it's how do you capture the practices of the top 20 percent? So yeah, you can I think drive revenue. I think I think and, anyone anyone in sales and business has been in the position where they've been in uh, on a team where it is always very clear there are usually a few very top performers. Then you have you know kind of a baseline, and then you have the weak performers. But there's always a standout in a crowd of sales staff uh, everywhere, everywhere and anywhere. So I love this idea of kind of digging in and seeing what is that top ten percent doing differently. Uh, and it's amazing because like I'm a big Zig Ziglar fan, and you know you're going back now to the to the '70s, and these were the discussions that were going on. And now here we are today, with 50 plus years later, having the same discussion. And it's it's great that that you have this new book. So, because you you kind of mentioned it, I just want to reemphasize it. You now have this Winalytics company that you run, and you are or you've just written a, a book called the Revenue Acceleration Playbook. It comes out in April of 2022, but people, of course, can pre-order it today on Amazon or Barnes and Noble. And of course, I will have links to the book in the show notes and on the marketingandservice.com website for this episode. So if you're listening and you find this interesting, definitely go and check out this book because Brent, thank you. You sent me a copy of the book and I read it and I really, really loved what you talk about in this book because what you talk about in the book is pretty much the same thing that I talk about on this podcast on a regular basis, except with a really cool twist. And that's what I want to jump into right now. A lot of times in business, uh, there's always the perspectives, right? And everyone in an organization might have a different perspective. The, you know, the CEO's perspective is going to be different than the CFO, which is going to be different than a CMO, which is going to be different than a sales staff, which is going to be different than the customer's perception of, of, of the transaction, right? You kind of take this B2B approach and you're looking at it from the sales perspective. So maybe we can talk a little bit about the perspective and the style of the typical outbound sales call in a B2B environment, some of the challenges they have, uh, and some of the things that you suggest that will greatly improve that. We talk a lot about building value plays. Any company you go to, they have a product battle card or product spec sheet like you talked about. What they often don't have written down is, why does your customer care? How does that create value for your customer? How does it help drive revenue, reduce costs, change a user experience, make better use of staff or some physical asset? And the reality is 
you only know what value your product creates once your customer has told you. Once you can write down a quote, a testimonial, a success story in your customer's voice. So we talk about build those value plays, which is how would your customer describe value? Where's a quick snippet? Where's a, uh, a success story, et cetera? And then if you have value plays, it solves the problem you talked about, which is often marketing, prospecting, sales, customer success. They all have a slightly different perspective on the buyer and customer journey. Right. But if you write down value plays and you write down customer stories that they can all use, it now gives them an integrated way to message the market. And everybody is thinking about how do I hand off around buyer value, not my perspective on where you are in the journey. Right. right. So it, it flips it. You're and- not inside out. You're outside in. Yeah, and it's fantastic because I always talk about that alignment between sales, service, and marketing. Because in so many typical organizations, you've got those three people with different perspectives, and they don't have unified messaging. I think all of us can think of a time where we were told something by a salesperson, but then it just didn't come to fruition. The product didn't do what we thought it was going to do. And then we call support, and the support people say, yeah, I don't, I don't know why that guy told you that. He just he just wanted to close the sale. That, that, that That's not going to work for you. And now you've got this really sour perspective as a customer. You you have a very sour perspective of this company that you've dealt with. So I, I'm a huge fan of really focusing on that alignment between sales, marketing, and service. Yes, and related. I mean, we all have the experience of buying something from the sales guy or gal where they become your buddy. Yeah. They're totally wired on your problem and can ex- explain how they're going to solve the problem And then they hand it off to the implementation person who's like, tell me what we're focused on today. Right, right. Yeah, we've all been there. What problem are we solving? And it's just like, (laughs) no, don't do it. Hand it off. Yeah. So one of the things you you discuss in the book, you talk a little bit about the alignment mechanisms uh, to these, these systems to help have that alignment between those departments. Can you delve into that a little bit? Yeah, I mean, there there are two things, alignment mechanisms we think about. The one is these value plays, consistent value messaging, right? So if you think about a company, I was just on with an old client, Greg Carter uh, at TrueFit that has a retail personalization platform. So they help Macy's or Asics. If If you're a web shopper, you can go to the website, you get recommendations on the right size and style. So you buy the right products. You, you convert more from the website, you less return, size-related returns. Um, what they train their team to do from prospecting to sales to success is start with the buyer problem, right? Don't get into the details of the weeds of all the ways you can implement or this kind of thing you can do and these integrations you can run. Because if you focus first on the buyer problems, then you get into the details of the product, but it's a lot easier to hand off, Sure. right? Their problem was returns, Make sure Mr. or Mrs. customer success, this is about size-related returns. Real quick, just we know what their success is. They have this improvement goal. So if you get your value messaging right, a lot easier to make one connection to another. You don't have to capture all the details in the implementation. The second thing we always talk about is think about your incentives, right? A lot of people have individual activity metrics Uh, prospecting, how many meetings did you get, sales, how many deals did you close, customer success, what's your renewal rate? What are your cross-team metrics? 
because sure. those are actually more important to the buyer journey. So sales to success, what's the value of the account after 12 months after the close? Sure. Can I incense sales to tee up a lot of discovery? You might only land one, but do I have some incentive to have a higher 12-month lifetime value? Yeah. Or on the prospecting side, great, we need more opportunities, more meetings. Should I get measured on what percentage of those closed, what the value of those are when they close? And so now prospecting is incentive to hand it off to sales, not just opportunities, but good opportunity. So link up on your value messaging. And in addition to your team level activity measures, create cross team measures that align those incentives. Yeah, that, that alignment is so important. And since you were talking about sales, another chapter in the book that I really enjoyed is you bring up the scenario where you have a sales team and let's say they're a pretty good team. They're, they're pretty well managed. They're doing a pretty good job, but they fall into a routine. And they're not constantly improving. They, they've got this status quo. And you gave some good tips about how you can work as a manager to overcome that status quo to ensure that that sales staff is constantly improving. Yeah, I mean, look, it's it's life is busy and it's easy to get in, in the, you know, whatever mode you're in, but our markets are ever changing. New competitors, new buyers coming into yep. the equation. So we know the best sellers, it's about hyper-personalization. You're speaking to each buyer in their role in the you know, financial survey. You're selling into financial service. That's different than selling to a manufacturer. That's sure. different than selling to a hospital. Their language might be slightly different. So we have to be constant learners to personalize. Um, what we say is, as a manager and a team, think about 3% of your time, one hour a week, just practicing it getting better. Yeah. Practicing how you do discovery, practicing how you personalize your messaging. And we encourage alternating team-based practice. So you have a bi-weekly team meeting where somebody's bringing a, maybe a, a call video that everybody's reviewed to give feedback on yep. the discovery or the closing or an email follow-up, right? So team-based practice where people are expected to, you know, kind of present and get feedback This to continue with the TrueFit example, they developed something they called um, test and improve, a test and improve process where sales team members would bring their deals. And a lot of it was how well have you gotten to a business initiative or uh, that would motivate a purchase decision? Have you mapped out what each buyer cares about do you know what actions you need to take next? So team-based learning and then individual learning with your manager. And if you commit to an hour a week, it's amazing how quickly you can get better at your craft. Yeah, I love that. I, I think, you know, having been in sales my whole life, I'm, I'm sure there's been times in my career where I've been guilty of getting into that routine where, you know, you've got a pitch or you've got a certain thing. And yeah, it works some of the time, most of the time, whatever that may be. But you don't really think about oh, what's, what can I do to, to improve that 30% that's not closing, that's walking away? So I, I do love looking at that. And, and I, I love that you put that in your book. And, and there's some great stuff in there in relation to growing, like you just said, as, as a cross team and really listening to the customer. You know, I recently was dealing, uh, I got a sales call from a company and uh, I saw some stuff about this company. I reached out to them. They reached back out to me. And the phone call was a typical example of what you just laid out in the worst way. 
they called and they said, listen, we have this solution to this problem that you might have. And I said, this is great. I'm not going to say the name of the company, but they, uh, one of the features they offer is text-based billing, where you can you know, send texts to all your customers. They can pay right from their phone, and it will go into their, you know, into a payment processing account on their end, and then they send you a notice that this has been paid and transferred to your bank. And it sounded great. Like, you know, it's very convenient. It's nice and convenient to pay a bill through a text. The problem was, I said, well, what's the mechanism in which, you know, if you send out 10,000 bills in a month and now you get four or 5,000 payments back into the system, how do you then import those into your accounting software? Your, and, and the answer was, well, you just, you know, you have someone punch in all those, those payments. I said, well, that's not very efficient. I mean, you know, I realize this is not a Fortune 500 corporation and enterprise environment, but we're not going to have 4,000 uh, uh, payments entered every single month with someone punching in numbers with, with room for error and no way to audit it and no mechanism to just validate that what you've actually cl- – I mean, it was just really a wild thing. And I brought this up, and the guy said, I wouldn't worry about it. I just sign up today. I'll give you a better deal. I'll take 20% off. And it was exactly – he just wasn't listening, that this was such a critical aspect to me. And I would have appreciated even if he said, hey, listen, you know, I'm not sure with that. Let me check with my tech team, and I'll get back to you. But it was just pushing for this drive for this close. And my guess is that maybe three out of 10 times this pitch works and he gets the close and that's what he's happy with. But if he sat down, like you said, and actually reviewed this, a team member might say, hey, listen, you didn't listen to this guy and you lost it. And now I'll never do business with them because it was such a horrendous experience. But this really harkens back to what you were just talking about with with building those sales teams and and having that alignment. It, It really is important. Yeah. And I, my guess is that he, he doesn't close three and 10 that, uh, it's, it's, it's hard, right? I mean, product pitching and just pushing for the close, it's a lot easier than actually having to listen and recap and confirm where the buyer is seeing value. Uh, but I mean, what your experience was, he didn't first solve your problem. He just right. tried to close you. Yeah. And we know to sell well, you have to first uh, solve a problem for a buyer. And then we can focus on the process to close. So when we talk about that process of closing, as I said, let, let's take a look at that sales call and that journey and you put yourself in the customer's shoes. Uh, let's assume you're doing everything right. You're, you've got this, this common value proposition that's aligned and you are doing everything right. Now you're getting closer to this point where you're going to try to close this sale. Tell me about the final 10 minutes of the call. What does that look like? We always say, we ask every person on the sales team, develop a talk track that looks something like, hey, Justin, you know, I know we're coming to time. We have about 10 minutes left. I want to make sure we just hold time for me to hear from you. Where are you seeing the most value in this conversation and what we might do about it next? And, And then, I mean, what we encourage is that transition starts with a verbal recap. This is what I've heard today. The problem you're working on is probably most aligned to our capabilities, how we could help. Did I hear that right? Uh, do you see enough fit to, you know, that it would merit a next meeting with others? Uh, and who would we bring in, right? So right. you start with a verbal recap and then you get into their, you know, the classic band. Who else, you know, how urgent is this problem? 
how are things like this funded? So that that's what we encourage. Yeah, and it's a great. I mean, obviously, it's a great idea. It's a good summary of the call. Uh, if you're if you're into NLP, you've got that customer saying yes, 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 yes down the line, right? So it really is a. Uh, it, it's it's an interesting way to end the call, and it makes so much sense because in real life, that's what you do. Hey, you know, if you're talking to a buddy, uh, so we're good. We're going to meet tomorrow at nine o'clock and get a beer or whatever the case may be. You know, you kind of review it, and you. But salespeople don't do that. So often they just don't do that and they end up on a tangent and then the customer's not happy because they don't even know what's happening anymore. So let's talk a little bit about uh, HubSpot. I know you have a great case study example on that and uh, I, I've mentioned HubSpot quite a few times on the podcast and I, I don't have any affiliation with HubSpot. I do use it uh, and I do have some issues with it that I, I hope and it looks like they're trying to work out uh, specifically with mobile ticketing. It's something that they don't really support right now on iOS, which is which is frustrating if you're on the road and you need to be closing service tickets. But I do really appreciate the, the powerful tools that they give away for free is, is really incredible. So what can you tell me about your HubSpot case study? Yeah, we have a case study with Mark Roberts, who is the CRO there from, you know, zero to a hundred million, now a very successful venture investor. Uh, but he, it was really about building the integrated buyer uh, into customer journey uh, that, that we talked about and creating the incentives um, to do that. And so one of the things that I think they did a really good job of is they built their whole go-to-market process thinking about the ideal buyer at the end. They were less focused on what were the intermediate metrics on conversion opportunities, what what buyer at, at 12 months has the highest value for us, right? The highest enterprise value. And then they worked back from there to what I had described before. They changed the incentives. I remember Mark saying that his first SDR plan for the prospecting team was awful, because, you know, if they if the AE got good meetings, they were really happy. And if they got bad meetings, they were really unhappy and there right. was no alignment. So they changed the comp plan to a high percentage was what was the quality of the meetings that closed. And that was a big fix for them to now point towards higher quality opportunities. The other thing I remember him saying is he changed the comp structure. Um, he told his team, I will comp you 20 percent higher on any deal that closes between the day that the first deal closes and 12 months, right? So after the first close, anything that closes afterwards, you get 120%. And he said, Mark, the team said, Mark, you're crazy. We're going to find five opportunities and only close one. He said, go for it. Right. That's exactly what I want you to do because I could care less when the enterprise value hits I want you to do really deep and broad discovery to find out all kinds of things we could solve for them after that first use case. So they thought about a integrated revenue organization pointed at an ideal buyer uh, right from the outset. And it was one of the keys to their growth. Yeah, it's fantastic because there's so there's so often the issue where businesses have a difficult time articulating that exact persona of their buyer. Uh, and aside from the, the scenario you just provided, it it's a double whammy uh, because you also end up spending a lot of marketing dollars that you don't need to spend 
because you're you end up reaching you spread this wider net because you're unsure of who you really need so you spread this wide net and you spend a lot more money on ads and a lot more money on digital channels and you realize hey you know I could have just had a little bit better of a definition narrowed this down to a really specific target and probably could have gotten a lot more out of those dollars. It's something something I see all the time. I'm, I'm sure you see it as well. I wanted to go back just quickly to one earlier point in the conversation about this idea of the top performers and everybody else. Yeah. Uh, and give a plug both for our approach and the, the, the book is there is a solution and it's playbooks, right? Is when you write down your place and you have your top performers write down, what are your best plays for discovery? What are your best plays of talking back to your buyer? What are your best plays for closing a meeting? What are your best plays for connecting the first meeting to the second meeting? How do you price as an investment? When you write those down and you get your top performers to write them down and then you practice it, what now your middle 60 can absorb that. And there is a another story in the book about Aptio, uh, Larry Blasco, who is their CRO, you know, from 2003 to 2016. So from 3 million in revenue to going public, very rare for somebody to do that. Um, what he did is at every increment of their growth, so they started with a medic sales methodology when they were selling to the first big accounts. And then they adopted another methodology. And then when they were acquired by Vista, Vista has their own value selling methodology. And every time what he did is he forced the sales leadership team to go right back down, refresh an integrated set of playbooks so everybody was on the same set of playbooks and they could practice in the same way together. And every manager has a weekly session with their team. The team doesn't know who's going to get called on, Okay, who's going to have to practice those core skills. So it's just an awesome testimonial to shared playbooks and practice will drive phenomenal growth for any type of company. That's awesome. That's very cool. I love that. Uh, and since you mentioned the word testimonials, uh, one of the other things you've mentioned is customer voice uh, and avoiding that trying to sell capabilities of product and really understand. And, and one of the things that you refer to a lot is testimonials. How does that play into that sales process? Yeah. yeah. So what we, we, we encourage on these value plays is that a team should have if it's around how we increase the efficiency of a process or how we, I'll give you an example. We work with a couple of companies in the manufacturing cell sector that might work on maintenance. And the instinct is I'm selling you a valve or a pump. Fine. I'm selling you a valve or a pump, but really what I'm selling you is a, a valve or a pump that connect to a planned maintenance solution. So you have less downtime in your plan. And so you have higher production and that saves you money. Right. Right. So what I want my to condition my sellers to do is get the buyer to understand that higher business outcome and then explain how the product helped with that higher business outcome. Share in their words, hey, how did solving for the, how did getting you the right pump help your plan maintenance problem? How did building a solution around the right pump? How did some analytics around the right pump sure. help with that plan maintenance? How did that help you? What was the before and after case in terms of no visibility to visibility, less time taken off task yep. with this emergency outage? How did that help you? So ask them what problem it solved for them. And if you write that down, use it in your selling, you just have a stories sell. Stories sell better than product. You just have a simple story about 
how you help the customer uh, that will lead to higher engagement um, and higher velocity in your deals. Yeah, it certainly sounds like something that would be great to slip into that playbook. <laughs> goes right along with it, right? Share that with your other sales teams and say, hey, here's a story, here's a practical application and and, a, and customer success. Yeah, and, the, and the, to your point about connecting, stories can be used in prospecting, call connects, emails, as snippets. They can be used in a sales call. They can be used as a customer success tool. You know, here's what our other customers are thinking about. Are you thinking about that? So those stories really do connect a go-to-market journey as well, a buyer journey as well. Yeah, that is fantastic. And you know, the the thing is, we've we've probably discussed about two percent of the content that's in the revenue acceleration playbook. And I could go all day here. We could talk about this. You've already given so much amazing information out. So again, I encourage people check this book out, The Revenue Acceleration Playbook. Uh, it's a new book coming out April 2020. You can pre-order it today on Amazon, Barnes & Noble, uh, your favorite bookstores. This is something that you don't want to miss. And now I have to start to wrap this up because we're running out of time. But I wanted to ask you, what is the biggest mistake that you have ever made? Biggest mistake I've ever made, uh, I'll just stick with the business uh, side of things, is... <laughs> I, the very first commercial endeavor I had out of academics was to start a language learning uh, company with my brother who had a business in Asia, a textbook company selling English language. And it was a big mistake because uh, I was a very, I was an exceptionally strong language learner, but I was not a, a passionate language teacher. I didn't really care about teaching others okay. language. So I picked a business I wasn't passionate about. And if you're not passionate about starting a business, your the stick to itiveness is just not going to be there. That was a big mistake. Awesome. Yeah, that that's definitely something we we hear a lot. And uh, again, I think everyone feels that at some point, if you're if you're an employee, you're working, that passion is just utterly important and necessary to keep that drive going day in and day out. And of course, my last question: What's the best piece of advice you've ever gotten? Yeah, I, th I think it's the flip side of that. My brother, who is a psychiatrist, says in raising kids, you know, focus less on talent and uh, focus on passion, right? Is And because the talent will come if they're passionate about something and you just kind of rinse and repeat. And I think about myself in, you know, I love, like I got a left brain, right brain. I love writing the copy and I love selling and the the, the hunt. You know, so I was kind of yep. wired for go to market strategy, didn't get there immediately, but I love leading teams. And then I've loved being a consultant and I did it as an embedded way. But I've we've just always kind of up leveled. Right. The new opportunity. Right. Just keep going because there's a bigger and a bigger problem to solve. Awesome. So, Brent, thank you so much for taking the time today. Uh, and thank you for sharing these tidbits from your book, which, of course, is the Revenue Acceleration Playbook. Brent, you've been an amazing guest. You've given amazing content. If someone wants to get in touch with you, what's the best way they can reach out? Um, yeah, they can reach out to me at bkeltner at winalytics.com. Uh, one other thing I'd mention is we do have a book website, uh, authenticitywins.com. And they can go there and they can actually download for free the forward and the first chapter of the book for free. 
Great. So I will put links to uh, that into the show notes and, of course, on the website. So if you are looking for that, you can just go to the website and you will find it. And along with the information on how to get in touch with Brent, because uh, Brent is someone that you definitely want to have a discussion with if you are in a sales process, because you've really given some great information today. And I I really, really do appreciate it. And I think that anyone who partners with you is going to see that value right away. I appreciate that, Justin. Really enjoyed the call today. You're, you have awesome questions and a, and a good way of looking at uh, at growth. So I appreciate the alignment and the thought partnership. Absolutely. Thank you so much. And I wish you the best success on your journey. Thank you, Justin. Isn't that something? Listen to your customer and drive revenue. Now, I know it's not quite that simple, but the concept here is in a sales process, it is critical that you listen to what your customer is asking for. You have to deeply understand your customer's problem to offer a solution. If you're offering something before you know what the problem is, you are not doing your job as a salesperson. Imagine if you went to the doctor and they said, well, we're going to give you this drug, this drug, and this drug to fix these problems. And you say, well, I don't have any of those problems. My cholesterol is good. Uh, I exercise every day. My weight is healthy. And they said, oh, well, we don't care about that. Just take these three drugs because this is where we make the most money. You would run from that doctor's office. But yet in sales, this happens every single day. So do yourself a favor, pre-order Brent's book, Revenue Acceleration Playbook, and think about how you can better understand the problems that your customers are having. And in turn, you will drive revenue growth. You will accelerate revenue. And that's the whole name of the game. Thanks so much for listening. I'm Justin Veruzzo. This is the marketingandservice.com podcast. If you like this show, please take a moment to like or subscribe. If you want to ask me a question, I'd be happy to answer it for you. Just shoot me an email, justin at marketingandservice.com. That's J-U-S-T-I-N at marketingandservice.com. Thanks so much for listening, and I'll catch you on the next one. 